0: Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you'd like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. We are concluding our Speaking World message series today. Have you enjoyed yourself in it? Are you seeing anything happening in your life? Amen. It's been good for me. We've been talking about uh, just watching our words. And in our message series, Speaking Worlds, my words are powerful. And just as a reminder, let's all say that again together. My words are powerful. Come on, one more time like you mean it. Uh, my words are powerful. My words are powerful. And it's important that we remember this as, as we open the scriptures today and we're in Matthew huh? Chapter sixteen. Oh, there's a good, good presence here right now. It's probably healing in this presence. Amen. There's restoration in this presence right now. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Alrighty, I, uh, I'm already preaching myself happy here. <laughs> Grab this money. <clears throat> Hallelujah, Hallelujah. In, in Matthew chapter sixteen, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is. In the northern part, actually the far north of Israel, uh, it's kind of in the foothills of Mount Hebron, almost in Jordan. Uh, Mount Hebron, of course, is where uh, David was anointed king over Israel, and we find Jesus and his disciples there. And if you follow the life of Jesus, Jesus was not there selling his wooden trinkets, right? We got kind of a a wrong view of who Jesus was and what he did. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi, we know that. Uh, so we know that was the most important thing going on in his life. Uh, and he was an itinerant minister. He traveled around and he preached. Uh, he preached the same message uh, lots of places and several uh, times. Um, I was recently part of a debate. Uh, in One place uh, we see the Sermon on the Mount, and another place we see something very similar that it said he spoke on a plane. And people were uh, arguing, not plane as an airplane, obviously, plane as in a flat place, <coughs> And uh, they were arguing, well, what, where was this place? And they're two different places. He preached one place on a plane, which I, which I went to uh, in Israel when I was there. And he spoke other times on the side of the, um, the sea and sometimes on the side of a mountain. And Jesus was a preacher. And like all good preachers, he preached the same message several times, right? That's what preachers do. They get a good message and they stick with it. Uh, and they go to new crowds and they give them the same message. Because it worked there, it'll work here. And so Jesus was traveling, and he he preached messages, and uh, he had some important ones. And obviously, the Sermon on the Mount that we call was one of his go-to messages because it was the message of his kingdom and what he wanted us to do. But here we see him uh, in in, uh, south of Mount Hebron in Caesarea Philippi, and he asked what may be the most important question that he asked. He's asking the disciples first. He asked them, what do the people say about me? What do they say about me? Jesus knew that folks were talking about him. And he knew that his disciples were in the midst of those conversations. And it's super, super important that we understand the context of Scripture so we can understand what Jesus is actually saying. Too often we get this eternal word, but we pull it out of the situation it was spoken, and we put it into our lives. And yes, it is absolutely valid in our lives, but we have to understand what he was speaking when he said it. And so we see Jesus asking people, who do men say that I am? You ever walk in a room and you know somebody has been gossiping about you? You just look at them and you're like, wow, you're a gossip, and I probably shouldn't trust you, right? Has that ever happened to you? Has that only happened to me? Am I the only one who's felt like somebody has gossiped about them? And there's that old question that you want to ask, uh, yeah, thanks for telling me what they said. My real question is, why were they comfortable saying it around you? why, what, why, what, 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 why, why were they okay saying that about me to you? I don't, and this is Jesus. He's like, okay, you've heard what other people say about me. I get that. Here's my question for you though. Who do you say that I am? You've heard what other people say, but what do you say that I am? Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to you, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Man, this is a super, super, super important question. We got to get this right. Sometimes our silence speaks as loud as our words. We we live in an era where um, truth is flexible based on what you're trying to accomplish. We're watching in our politics today and we're watching in the church today the people are blessing lying. As long as we get what we want, lying is okay. And I'm here to let you know lying is always a sin. It will be better to go to heaven with no eyes than to be seeing here on earth and living in sin. These are the words of Jesus. And so if we lose out here To gain eternal life, we've made a very good choice. But many in the church today cannot see beyond this current life and therefore are laying seeds of destruction for our country's future. Lying has been blessed. And it grieves my heart. And the reason it grieves my heart is not because sinners are sinning, because guess what? That's what sinners do. It's what they're best at, right? What else can they do? If you're a sinner, you can only sin. That's all you got. But the church are the ones who are supposed to be the pillars of truth. And the church needs to rise up and say, hey, this doesn't work out better for me if I say this, but I have to speak the truth because Jesus Christ is the truth, and I have to declare it, even if I am worse off for the wear. Are you getting this? We have to stand on truth. We have to actually stand on truth. And that has nothing to do with my message. But I felt so strongly about it, I wanted to tell you. I don't want to preach politics. I do want to preach that we tell the truth. And there's some uncomfortable truths in our nation that our nation needs to hear. There's some uncomfortable truths. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the truth. You can dig in the ground all day long, you're not finding another God. Mm. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You can do all the scientific experiments you want. That baby is alive on the inside of the mother and it's a person. Amen. It's the truth. I've been raised by an amazing single mom. Kids turn out better when they have two parents. I don't, I just, you cannot, like statistically, it's factual. Families are important in our country. And if you're a single mom, man, we are with you. If you're a single dad, we are believing God for you. God can come alongside you. But we both... Everybody knows that it's better to have a complete family, right? There's no single parent who raises their kids saying, you know what I hope? I hope that you just have kids with no spouse. That would just be awesome. That's just going to be the best. You know what a single parent says? Choose wisely. Choose your spouse wisely. Work hard at your marriage. It's going to be better in the long term. This is the truth. This is what I learned being raised by a single mom who had to grind to feed us, right? And so I'm working very hard. I'm working very hard to give my kids a better life than I had. And and I speak that with no judgment, right? But we have to accept the truth. Before I got saved, I lived a really happy life, sending me to hell, filled with depression and anxiety, but just as happy as a sinner can be. Life is better on this side of the cross. This is the truth. Are you with me? And so here's what Jesus asks us. He asks us very clearly, who do you say that I am? We internalize that message to say, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? This is how we view that scripture through our Western individualistic culture. But that is not the question Jesus was asking. He's not saying, have you received me as your Savior? Because he had not died and been resurrected yet. He clearly said, I hear what other folks are saying about me in the marketplace. What are you saying about me in the marketplace? Or are you too scared to speak the truth? Are you more concerned about the truth or are you more concerned about what people think about you? And Jesus is asking us this question today. Are we more concerned with popular culture or are we concerned with the truth? Now listen, the truth does not mean mean. Truth doesn't mean I want to argue with people. It doesn't mean that I want to have fights. It doesn't mean that I want to be rude. There's there's no excuse to be rude. There's no excuse to be mean. We can have self-control and still stand on the truth. That's called being mature. That's called being grown. We're able to have relationships with people and not destroy them. Every now and then, I uh, am on social media and I get angry and I post a tweet and then I just have no peace afterwards and I just feel horrible and I'm like that was mean and I don't want to be humble enough to recognize that it was mean and delete it and eventually for my own peace I have to delete it because I was mean does that make sense I like I want to live in truth I I even I'm like but I'm right but it was mean if you're right and you're mean you're wrong right You, you, you can't you can't lovingly be mean You're either loving or you're not. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I know you're nervous, but what what do you you say about me in the marketplace? Here, here's, here's what he's saying. Listen, we need to speak the name of Jesus. We need to speak the name of Jesus to ourselves, and we need to hear the name. He didn't say, what do you think about me? He didn't say, what were you convinced about me? What do you believe about me? Who do you say that I am? When you're out there, in the marketplace of ideas, when everybody is bringing their own opinion to the table, what do you say about me? We hear a lot about God. Well, oh, man, I just thank God for bringing me here today and that I wrote this filthy album that sold all kinds of millions of copies and, you know, got 19 babies from 17 different women. But I just want to thank God for getting me here today. And I'm like curious, like, who is this God you're talking to? Who, which God are we talking about here? I remember when I was young and people from different faiths would be around. They'd be like, oh, you know, you're this and I'm that, but we're all worshiping the same God. And I'm now on this side of the cross saying, yeah, the, the, the God who doesn't exist is who you've been worshiping because Jesus Christ is the one true God. There is no other God than Jesus. Now, I'm not angry and people are like, oh, that's very convenient. You were born into the only truth. I'm like, actually, I was born into sin. I chose the truth. There's a difference. You're not born into any religion. You learn a religion. You learn a way of life. You learn a theology. You meet Jesus Christ. And once you meet Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to follow him or not. Jesus Christ. I'm not angry. Come on. I don't hate any faith group. I I don't hate any other theology. I don't hate them because I don't hate something that's not there. It's impossible to hate a vacuum. And there's no God but Jesus. And so I love God, the one true God. Jesus Christ is his name. Amen. There, there is one God, and it says his name is Jesus, and God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, in, under the earth, at the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? This is our God. He is the truth. Like it or not, want another faith system, there's only one. I am thankful that the one true God is a loving God. I'm thankful that the one true God is a God who wants to bless us, who wants relationship, who wants to fill us with power, who wants to give us peace, who wants to make us an overcomer instead of someone who's striving. Amen. I'm thankful that the one true God is a God who heals. Amen. I'm thankful for that. I- I'm thankful. But it's important that we recognize who he is and we declare it. Romans 10.10, 10, it says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. So it's good that you think that he's Lord. But the Bible says also, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There is a very, very powerful truth here that's in our confession that we're saved. It's in our confession that we're saved. And now, there is a reason that it is so uncomfortable to speak the name Jesus Christ today. It's There's a reason that it's so uncomfortable. There's there's a reason that the enemy fights so hard to make you uncomfortable to speak the name Jesus. Because he knows there's power in that word. He knows there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power. There is liberating power in the name of Jesus. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. There is love in the name of Jesus. There's acceptance in the name of Jesus. And the enemy doesn't want that name to be out there in the marketplace of ideas. The enemy doesn't want that truth to be out there. He doesn't want that power to be moving. He, He wants us to shrink back and not speak the name. Why? Because he understands what that unlocks. You see, we have to see the power in our words. We have to see the power in our words. We have to understand that the words that come out of my mouth are actually creating things in my life. We have to recognize this. And, and I talked over the last several weeks, and hopefully you've been challenged and you've been encouraged to take survey of your words and to take authority over your vocabulary and to create a life for yourself with your vocabulary that actually reflects the future that God wants for you. Hopefully we have decided to kind of clean up our words, and as our word for 2020 for our house was that we would see Jesus more Clearly, instead of seeing failure and seeing disappointment and seeing frustration, instead of seeing what we didn't get and what we wanted but didn't achieve, let's begin to look for Jesus more clearly in 2020 and begin speaking about who he is, speaking about what he has done, speaking about the the life that he's invited us into, speaking about the faith that he has given us to operate in today. Amen. Amen. We live in Boca Raton I like Boca Raton. I like South Florida. I love when I go to pastor's conferences and they're like, yeah, I'm in Maine. I'm like, chilling in Boca. (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus in South Florida. (laughs) To the ends of the earth, I tell you what. There's us, then the ocean, right? I said to the ends. Should have prayed harder for the ends of the earth. I don't know. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus in Boca Raton. Do it, Lord. I want to ask you, what 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 do you say today? What do you say about Jesus today? <clears throat> you know those word clouds that they make? You know, you see like on a website, they'll do a word cloud to say all the words that they see. or Or, or it'll be like in an essay or possibly in a speech, the news will say, this is what was talked about most at the... State of the Union address or a congressional testimony, and you look at these word clouds. And, I, and I'm just curious, if we were to look at our words over the last 30, 60, 90 days, and we were to get the clouds and see what words were spoken most often out of our mouth. What words would have the biggest highlight? Which subjects would be covered more than any other? And then that leads me to wonder, where would Jesus be on that? Wow. How often have we said the name Jesus in our lives. How, how often have we brought him up in our vocabulary, in our conversations, in our in our workplaces, and or with our families, and as we're talking about our future, how how often are we including Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you say that he is? Who do we say that he is? It's important. It's important to get this figured out. It's important to take an inventory of our words and it's important to make sure that he's in those words it's important it's important that we speak the name cuz we even ourselves need to hear it our own soul needs to be reminded that he is the author and perfecter of our faith that he is the one who's crafting my future he is the one who's called me out of darkness i need to remind myself this isn't all on me this isn't all up to me this isn't all up to my efforts and what i can accomplish and this isn't all on my shoulders. Actually, he did all the work already. He actually is preparing a place for me. He actually is the one calling me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He actually defeated death for me. He actually defeated sin for me. He actually defeated sickness for me. He, he, he it's about Jesus and what he accomplished for me on the cross. He's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. It's Jesus. Amen. We need to remember that. It's important that we remember that. David understood this. David understood the power of his words, and he's constantly confessing life over himself. If you read the Psalms, and the Psalms were kind of like David's journal, kind of like he wrote to himself in in poetry. He wrote, and he was so honest, and he was so brutally real with us. It's easy to gloss over what David was going through. It's easy to kind of skip past it and see David, the mighty man who had some flaws. No, David was just a a man like you and I. He was just a person who had amazing, amazing qualities and some not so amazing qualities. He had times of amazing faith and he had times just like me and you wondering, is God going to come through? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to accomplish what God called me to do? How am I going to wind up on top. And we see that David would get discouraged and David would be depressed. David would feel defeated and he would write to himself in the Psalms. Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of God forever. You could tell he's just making a confession there. You wonder if he even believed it. But he's confessing it over his own soul. He's like, I will not be defeated. I am speaking this over me today. And in the midst of his reality, in the midst of his confession, in the midst of his transparency, we have one of the greatest writings in human history, Psalm 23. Amen. Out of him being real and decided, I want a better future. I'm going to take control of my future. I'm taking control of what's happening here. And I am dictating a better word over myself. And who knows how many millions of people over the years, hundreds of millions maybe, have read that psalm and said, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Me too. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Nothing will take me from the palm of his hand. Amen. How many people have gotten into that promise because he was real? I wonder... I wonder if we were just publicly more real about what God was speaking to us, how many people we could bring into our draft as well. I wonder how many people, just in our workplaces, we tell them what happened in our lives. I wonder if we just share the testimonies of who Jesus is. I don't mean you know necessarily preaching and making somebody have a decision or I I just mean imagine if we just added him in our life. People would say, Oh man, I'm in this situation, but I remember. I remember old Joe, man. I remember when he was at work and he talked about how God healed his. And I wonder if he would do that for me as well. I wonder if we just continue telling the stories, how many people might be drawn in like David has done for us. But not only for others. We need to speak the word of Jesus over ourselves so we can hear it. We need to minister to our own soul. That's your first ministry. Whether you're a parent, your friend, the brother, sister, whether you're a leader here or you just started coming, maybe you're not even a Christ follower yet. I'm here to tell you that your first ministry is to your own soul. If you're not healthy, you're not good to anybody. We can only fake it so long as well. When we run out of momentum and we stop moving, and now we're no good to anybody or ourselves. You've all heard it on uh, this illustration when there are airline flights and you're on the flight and they talk about if we hit a little turbulence, oxygen masks may fall. How many of you know that is not what we want to see happen? I, I don't like they're trying to reassure you, but if you're flying and the roof opens up and stuff falls at you, I feel like it's panic attack time. I just I feel like it's time to freak out a little bit. Like noises, ah, eh, don't worry about noises. Shaking, don't worry about shaking. Stuff falling at us, time to freak out. Now is officially time to lose your mind and begin to scream out the name of Jesus, right? But what they say is, if these oxygen masks come down, if the oxygen masks fall, they said, before you put it on yourself, put it on your child. Now that, that is counter to a good parent's instinct. Because yeah. a good parent, your instinct is to take care of your kid first. I don't care what happens to me. I need to take care of my child. That is my most important thing. But they understand the truth that if you're not taking care of you, and you put that oxygen mask on the child, and there's not enough oxygen in the air, eventually you're going to pass out, and you may pass, and then your child is sure to pass as well. But if you take care of yourself, if you set yourself up in a healthy place, then you can help those around you. Do you understand this? It's so important that you understand how important you are to God, and how He has done so much that you can live a healthy life. You have to take care of your own soul. You have to make sure that you are healthy. And part of that is speaking the truth over your soul when your soul wants to believe the worst. Your soul wants to believe that things are things are just gonna get worse and, and catastrophe's coming. And you get a choice. Am I gonna speak those words over myself or am I speaking the truth of God's word over myself? I'm not talking about denying reality. That doesn't help anybody. If if you got that that coronavirus, we love you. Don't come to church. Amen. We are full of faith full of faith. Stay home and watch us on the stream. Amen. Faith and wisdom. Are you with me? We're not talking about denying the truth. You go to a doctor. I hear people say, are you scared of the coronavirus? I'm like, no, if I get a lung infection, I'm going to the hospital and I'm going to get better. I need to be healthy. But if we're going to take care of ourselves. We have to understand that there are rhythms in life. And if you break this biblical truth of the fact that there are rhythms in life, you are going to burn out and you're not going to be healthy. There are rhythms. The Bible calls it seed time and harvest. Yes, there's work time, but there's also rest time. You better figure out the rhythms of work and rest. And if you don't figure that out, your body will figure it out for you. And it will force you to rest when you don't want it. And when it's not the most advantageous. The enemy will sit on that inability to rest and bring sickness at the very moment you need it least. That's what the enemy does. He partners with our refusal to obey God's word. There's rhythms of work and rest. There's rhythms of prayer and there's rhythms of preparation. For those of you who feel called to ministry, yeah, pray, man. Pray. Seek the anointing. Cry out to God that he would... Bring his spirit upon you and give you a fresh word. But you also need to read your Bible. You also need to study the word. You better learn these things like theology and figure out what does it actually take for someone to get saved? What does discipleship look like? What does it look like to have healthy relationships with people? Work that out. There's rhythms of spirituality. There's rhythms in the natural as well. We need to figure these rhythms out. And for all of us to have a healthy life, there needs to be rhythms. There can't be constant stress 24-7, 365 days a week. You will burn out. You will collapse. You will not make it. Some of the most uh, industrious people I know, the most productive people I know, the people who create the most amazing businesses, I have to tell them, you need to take a day off. People who love Jesus would never think about killing someone, would never think about cheating on their wife, would never think about stealing Completely ignore the Sabbath. There's a spiritual law in the Sabbath, we have to rest. We have to rest. You can't work. If you're a business owner in here, we have many, many business owners in here, and I give you all the same word, you have to rest. You are not above the word of God. Your body will give out and you need rest. And you have to figure out what that looks like. For you, there's no law on when or how you rest, but you need to figure out that rhythm. Amen. And so if you're not in a season of having learned how to rest, it's time for you to start speaking that out. I will figure out how to rest. Rest is important. Jesus Christ even rested. I need to rest. Your words are important in these things. Condemnation won't help you. Burnout won't help you. Feeling guilty won't help you. It's time to do something. Amen. It's time to make yourself important and start taking care of your own health, taking care of your own heart, taking care of your own soul, man. It's so important. I can't overstate how important the state of your heart is to God. He wants you to take care of it. And when you're physically worn down, you'll get emotionally worn down. We have to take care of both. When you're emotionally worn down, you'll get physically worn down. Jesus cares about both. If you're spiritually worn down, if you're stuck in patterns of sin, both your emotions and your physical body will follow. Cuz there's a law of sin and death. Jesus came and broke that law through faith in him. When we receive Jesus Christ as our savior, we break the rhythm of sin and death and instead we now have life and life more abundantly. But we have to take place in God's we have to take part in God's word and in his truths. Watch this. Romans chapter 4 verse 17. Paul writes, God, who gives life to the dead, and watch this, calls into being that which does not exist. He speaks it into being. This is how God created everything. The Father spoke. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. The Spirit was brooding over the face of the earth, waiting for Jesus. We have to speak these things into existence in line with what the Father has shown us. Now, we're not talking about some weird theology that you're decide that you want something and you're just going to say it often enough that it'll happen. That doesn't work that way. You ever meet anybody who thought he was something he's not? We call that annoying, right? That is not reality. I could speak all day long, I'm never going to dunk a basketball on LeBron James. It's just not going to happen. I'm never going to professionally play baseball. It's not going to happen. I can confess it all, my, all I want. It's not going to happen. Well, what's this power of confession then, Pastor? It's the power of agreeing with God and speaking it into the atmosphere. It's giving words to what God has said to my heart. Because in my heart, I believe that God would do something. But with my mouth, I confess it and I watch it come to pass in my life. But we got to hear God and speak what he has said. We have to agree with God and speak what he said. And I'm speaking now to you over your life to begin speaking that you're going to have some emotional health in your life. Amen. That you're going to have seasons of rest. That you're going to come into prosperity. You're going to come into everything God has for you. We have to speak it forth. It happens through us. I can't be super spiritual and say that I just, I've been, I've been praying all day and I'm ready to get up in the pulpit and preach. Have you been to I oh, I don't want to go down that road. I'll say it this way. Early in my walk, I thought that was so spiritual. I'm not going to prepare a message. People would say, get in the the pulpit, and the Lord will give me words to speak. And those services are not as good as someone who's actually working during the week preparing a message. Put a little effort into it. How about that? How about about we actually partner with God and put some effort into what we're doing? Are you happy that Corey and the worship team practice before they get here? (laughs) Thankful for you, man. How about a meal drumming for the first time today? Go ahead. That's life. Amen? They say, oh, well, you know, the worship wasn't as good as Hillsong. We ain't Hillsong. I don't know if you notice that or not. And not for nothing, you're never going to get on stage with Hillsong. You have an opportunity here. Amen. All right, y'all are making me go long here. Hold on. Have you ever... uh, I've heard people say this, and it breaks my heart when I, when I hear it. They're like, man, the very thing that I feared would happen I'm, is happening now. I was so scared that this would happen in my life, and now here I am in this season that I always wanted to avoid. And it breaks my heart when I hear that because someone has been looking to the future in a less preferred outcome, and they dragged it into today. The Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs said it like this in Proverbs 6 too, He says, you are snared in the words of your mouth. Snared with the words of your mouth. A snare is like a little a little wire in or or a trap, either way, that's in a in a little path in the woods. And and when the animal comes along, doesn't under doesn't recognize that there's a, a little trap there waiting for them, and they're just walking along with their life and they get caught in it and they can never get out of it. And eventually they die and they become prey for the hunter. And what this Proverb speaker proverb Proverbs is saying is literally, you have lived your life setting a trap for yourself in the future. The words that you've been speaking, the words out of your mouth are setting up a trap for you with your own life, setting up a trap. And you were thinking, why, why would we do that? We created a trap with our own words. He's saying, you're literally, you're reaping a harvest of the seeds that you're sowing in past seasons. And I got to thinking here, if I have that kind of power to change the next season with my words, how about I start laying traps of blessing for myself? How about I begin speaking words that one day I'm walking along and I oh. I've been talking about this day for years, praise God. I'm not surprised at all that it's here now. I've been speaking about this victory for two years now. What do you know? I laid a trap for my own self right here that I'm coming into it. Maybe you're single and you want a spouse and you're like, oh, I'm never gonna find someone. Well, enjoy loneliness. I would say things like, the Lord is preparing somebody for me right now. And he's becoming righteous and he's loving the word and he's reading his Bible and he's praying. And one day, I'm gonna come around the corner I've been waiting for you. I've been talking about you for years. Where you been? (laughs) Laying up a trap for my own self. Come on now. Now, if we got that kind of power, let's just get involved in the good kind of using it instead of the bad kind of using it. I just, it's like a sprinkling of things to come. And if I have that kind of power, well, how about I just get involved in it and start using it to my benefit? How about I get involved in it and begin using it to my kids' benefit? My kids were growing up. My, my daughter's in high school. My son is in college. And we would just talk about their future around the dining room table. It's kind of what we do, around the kitchen table mostly. And we'd just talk about what they're going to do after high school. And we'd always say, you know, after you go to college, what, 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 what's the plan? I mean, like, it was just, it's just an expectation. Like, of course, of course you're going to college. No clue how we're paying for it, but you're going to college. Not my problem, right? We, we will prepare, but at the end of the day, going to college. Yeah. And my kids have never uh, discussed any future with me that didn't include going to college. Why? Because that's, that's the trap that we have set for ourselves. <laughs> we're going to college. We're going to college. Yeah. It's just part of what we're doing. You see, I, I, have, a, I have a big, beautiful mango tree in my backyard. if those of you who love mangoes, what's funny is my wife is allergic to them, and I don't eat them. But they're amazing from everybody I hear from. <laughs> And it takes up a good portion of my yard. And uh, around uh, late December, early January, uh, my mango tree blooms. And it's massive. You know how big mango trees get. Um, you know people in the other part of the country just cannot believe that you grow your own mangoes here. Like they, they grow here. This is what they do. They just, they have to grow somewhere, and I live there. I don't understand why that's complicated. I don't, I don't get that at all. It's like they're magical fruit to people. Like they just appear in the grocery store at a certain time of year. And they grow here. Uh, and so I have this, I have a big mango tree, and uh, in, in January, it blooms, you know, so the flowers come, so the bees get happy, and they want to come frolic in the pollen, you know, and, and that's that's how we get fruit, obviously. And a couple weeks ago, I went in my backyard, and there wasn't wind, and it just, my entire yard smelled like mango. It's like the entire, the aroma filled the entire yard, and I'm like, this smells, this is Amazing, right? And, 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 I, and when you get that smell, you start getting excited because mango season's coming. Right now, about June, July, uh, the mangoes will come in, and this place will smell like mangoes, and my office will smell like mangoes, and everywhere I go will smell like mangoes because I'll have hundreds of mangoes, and I can't eat them all. And so if you stick around, you'll get mangoes uh, come that time of year. But there's this, there's this aroma that comes to make you expect what's coming. It's like, hey, this is going to be amazing. Make sure you water the tree. This is going to be amazing. Make sure you water the tree. You don't have a mango yet, but you do have a promise. And that aroma is the promise of things to come. Make sure you're taking care of this tree. Now, it would be super stupid to smell the mangoes and then say, well, I don't see any mangoes yet. Let me chop down the tree and I'll get mangoes later. That's what your words do, though. Are my words aligning with the harvest that God told me is coming or have I just chopped down the tree because it's more convenient? If we want a different harvest in our life, we have to start planting different seed. Yeah, yeah. We got to start planting seeds of faith. We got to, we, 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 we have to water it with words of affirmation. Yeah. 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 You remember David stood before Goliath and he said to Goliath, huh, you're a giant. You stand before me with a sword and a shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. He began speaking his victory out. He said, this day, he says to the giant, the whole army was scared of this guy. And he says to the giant, this day I will defeat you and I will feed your head to the birds. That's the man who understands his words. Amen. That's the guy who understood his words. The Bible says he cut off his head and he's riding around with it for days, hanging off the side of his horse. By the way, I'm the one who killed the giant. just want to let y'all know, I am the giant killer. Letting folks know. He's putting it out there. In case y'all don't know, y'all better recognize, I I am the giant killer. Put put that on my name, giant killer, right? Remember that when you think of me. He's a giant killer. He understood it. He He went out there with five stones, put one in a slingshot, and he knocked that giant down. David could take risks. Because he knew God was on his side. He knew God was on his side so he could take these massive risks and come against the giant. He said in Psalm 55, he said, in times of trouble, I will call upon the Lord and he will save me. You know, he's speaking that over himself. Maybe you could speak that over yourself today. We need to speak to our future. Your marriage may be faltering, your health may be faltering, your kids may not be serving the Lord, but we need to declare, as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Come into agreement with God, has said about your family, we need to speak the name of Jesus over our families. We need not just tell our kids, you know, this is how you dress and this is how you talk. No, 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 we follow Jesus. And if you get your kids to follow Jesus then all this other stuff comes. We, we, we focus too much on the, on the fruit, and we don't focus enough on the seed. We got a bad seed. You're going to get a bad tree, but let's put the right seed in our kids. Man, Jesus is alive, and he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He rescued me from darkness, and he will do the same for you. When you meet him, your life will never be the same again. You may be stuck in a financial mess right now. You may come from a long line of broke people, and you get to decide. I'm with you, man. And you get to decide. (laughs) What are we going to believe? What are we going to speak? We need to speak the word of Jesus. We need to speak who he is over us. And here's what I like to do. Put Deuteronomy 15 up if you would. I like to get it and put it in first person. I I don't know who you is. I'm talking about me. I say, here's how I like to speak it over myself. For the Lord, my God, will bless me as he has promised me. And I will lend to many nations, and I will not borrow. And I will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over me. Listen, my wife and I, we've been broke, 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 broke. How broke are you? I've been more broke. I have been. It's not possibly more broke than nothing, right? Like, I was more poor than you. I had nothing and owed lots. There's no more poor than that. It gets to a point where you just, that's it. There's nowhere down to go. Broke, Mike, just broke. I don't know if you've ever been broke. Just broke. We're not broke now. We ain't rich, but we ain't broke. (laughs) Hear me. The only debt we have is our mortgage, and I am believing God that that will be gone too in the name of Jesus. We're not rich, but we're not spending money we don't have. Hallelujah. Listen, if you've been stuck broke, there, there is hope in Jesus. He'll get your life together, he'll get your finances together, and you will overcome. Start businesses. Like the Lord wants to bless your hand. It's, the Bible's pretty clear that God wants to bless you. Oh, sweet Jesus, I've gone late. Just forgive me right now. Would you just forgive me right now? Don't go home with an offense. I've gone too long already. Do you love me? I mean, you have to if you want to go to heaven, but you just <laughs> got to love one another, right? Okay, I'm almost done, but I believe this is going to change some lives. you got to look at yourself in the mirror. Put, put this up. Here, here's something I want you to write down. If you need something to speak over yourself. Out of this verse, out of Deuteronomy 15.6. I'm going to speak it, then we're going to say it together over ourselves. I will rule over my circumstances. They will not rule over me. Too many of us are asking God to come and do what he called us to do. Hear me. He's asked. We, we Oh, God. Oh, God, would you change this? He's like, well, if I'm going to do that, what do I need you for? Why would I put you in that business if you need me to come and run the business? Why, Why would I have you as the parents of those children if you want me to come and parent those children? I've called you. Now, believe me, God is saying, to become a good parent. Believe me to become a good employee. Believe me to become a good business owner. Believe me to become a good preacher, to be a good minister, to be a good member of society. I will rule over my circumstances. They won't rule over me. Let's say it together. I will rule over my circumstances. They will not rule over me. We're not left alone. Jesus didn't just say, now go figure it out. He said, I will send my spirit, and he will give you power. He gave us the Holy Ghost, so we have power over the troubles of this world. You may be in a rough, rough season. I'm here to let you know he has sent his spirit to help you, and he's going to get you out of this thing if you turn to him. Look, he says in Luke chapter 10, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nothing. He sent us power. You're like, well, that means, no, you know what it means? It means what it says. The Bible means what it says, even if you don't see it in your life yet. Let's stand on that word and let's just believe. Let's just keep doing what he's told us to do. The Holy Spirit is living on the inside of us. And when we turn our attention toward the spirit, he begins to reveal everything we know. Everything we need to know. He reveals everything that he has. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We're not cast out. We're not in darkness. He's actually brought us into his light, the Bible says. And everywhere we go, the light shows up. You're not a victim here in South Florida where everybody's a Christian and you're not. If you look at the media or you talk to people, they believe that there's a certain religious tradition that is prominent in South Florida, like, oh, well, that place is mostly this faith group. And we're like, no, actually, they're minority, but they're the most vocal. So you would think that they're the majority, but actually, we're the majority. People who know that the living God is still alive and that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for sinners. Even people who don't follow him know that. We just don't talk about him as much as other people do. And so you'll think that they're the majority, but they're not. They're just the most vocal. We hear what they say about Jesus. What do we say? What are we speaking about him? Are we using the name? We need to speak the name Jesus in South Florida. We need to speak the name Jesus in South Florida. Come on up, Mike. I I was in Israel, I told you. Um, I'm going to talk more, well, I'm just going to talk a little bit about it for a long time. That's basically what's going to happen. I'm walking through Israel. I'm like, man, this is the land of sermon illustrations. This is awesome. It's a preacher's dream right here. I'm in Israel, and, um, and uh, all, of our, all of our tour guides um, were Jewish since it's Israel, right? It just kind of makes sense, right? And so uh, all these, um, is, these Israeli Jews, um, they would tell us, you know, like, hey, we get witness to all the time. And, and they would kind of share their testimony, with us on how they lived in America, or they lived in Europe, or uh, wherever, and then they moved to Israel, and now they are Orthodox Jews, and now they're real followers, and they'd say, you know, we, 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 we've been witness to, leave me alone, I'm here to teach you, you're not here to teach me, and, and uh, I was in Israel, and I just wanted to be respectful, number one, uh, number two. Uh, I don't want to get anybody angry uh, because I had to be there for another, you know, six, seven, eight days. And uh, I just wanted to, I was there as a Taurus. It was, as, as, a, as a pastor, it was really neat to be somewhere with a group of pastors and, uh, and just, just receive. So I'm there and I'm, I'm just receiving and uh, in about day seven, I think, I was in prayer and I felt the Lord. And I read the scriptures a fair amount um, because, like I said, I'm, I'm a professional Christian. And uh, this is what I do for a living. And so <laughs> this scripture came to my mind. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, which I've talked about a fair amount. Uh, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and we understand that this Jerusalem is your hometown. It's, it's where you are. Like It's so easy for us to want to go to the ends of the earth. But Jesus told us first to preach in our Jerusalem. And Judea, is, of course, is the place that we're not as close to. And Samaria is the next area over. And to the ends of the earth, obviously, for me, is its Raton, which is awesome. Right? So we understand that spiritually. But Jesus also said, you'll, preach this, you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll preach his gospel in Jerusalem. And I woke up one day and I was like, when will I have the opportunity to preach the gospel in Jerusalem again? Literal Jerusalem. Now, I like when I am in a storm, I like to worship Jesus. I'm like, who knows if I will ever get to preach and worship Jesus in the middle of a hurricane again. Every time I do it, I hope it's the last time, right? And so I will stand in the midst. Sickness comes and the enemy wants you to confess a worse conclusion. And I say, hey, I get to worship Jesus in the midst of this storm. Anxiety comes and you get a choice to make. Am I going to speak that this anxiety is going to overcome me and destroy my entire life? Or is this a storm I may never get to worship God in again? When this storm passes through, I want to sow seeds of overcoming in it. I don't want to sow seeds of depression and anxiety. I want to sow seeds of victory. I want to sow seeds of worship. I want to sow seeds of adoration to Jesus. I hope you begin looking at your storms a little different when they come. And the enemy comes and tells you what he wants you to focus on. you can say, no, 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 no. I don't know that I'll ever be here again. I want to plant seeds of salvation here. So I woke up and I'm in Jerusalem. And I said, I may never get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem again. And so I just began to pray. And I just began to believe the Lord that God would give me an opportunity. But we weren't meeting anybody else other than tour guides, really. People who are professionally professing their faith and their history. And uh, <clears throat> we went to, uh, I believe, two of the three places where they say Jesus died and was buried in Jerusalem. There's, for everything in Jerusalem, there's like the, the Catholic version, there's the Protestant version, and then there's another group that happens to own a plot of land, and so that's where they believe it was. And, and uh, they say there's uh, five churches there that have one of the three nails that nailed Jesus to the cross. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, you, you know, it, it, it was 2,000 years ago, so you don't know where stuff actually happened, by and large, right? You know where some of it is. And even the places where you're like, well, Jesus was right here, and it's like, well, not really. He was 30 feet down, right? Like, it's 2,000 years later, and there's so many built-up layers that you're not actually, so there's a few places where you can go where Jesus was, but very, very few because they're buried in 30 feet of sediment or they don't know where it actually was. You know, Jerusalem was completely ransacked, just like Jesus said would happen uh, in the year 70. Uh, he spoke in Matthew 24 about the destruction of the temple and the end of that age, what it would look like. And it absolutely happened exactly like he said, just like Jesus told John in the book of Revelation. It, it, I mean, they will teach you about how it happened. And so we were at the, uh, at the second place we went that they said Jesus died and was buried. Uh, it's called the Garden Tomb. You may have seen the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is amazing in what man had built. The Garden Tomb is far more far more sedate, and for me it was far more spiritual. And we met uh, in, 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 in this room with a bunch of pastors in a, in a little chapel, and they told us about the, the Garden Tomb and why they believe this is the real garden tomb and where Jesus was actually buried and where Golgotha is and where he was crucified right outside the, the gate there and you can see the gate, you see the mountain that looks like a skull And again it was a group of pastors and I and we came out of that room, we walked outside to go into the tomb and as we did it began to snow in Jerusalem and one of this pastors the spirit just came upon him and he said though their sins were as scarlet I have made you white as snow. Right in the the place where Jesus was resurrected. And the Spirit of God was so strong there. And some of the pastors began to sing with beautiful voices. And we just began to worship. And at least half of us were crying, like just really ugly crying, if you know what I'm talking about. Just, just, Just Jesus, thank you, right here. Right here is where you bore the shame. Where they, where they nailed you to a cross and they buried you in this human tomb and you were resurrected. And it was just a moment with God. If you've had a moment like that, you know what I'm talking about. And when I came out of the tomb, I was just so overcome with the presence. And I had uh, developed a relationship, just a friendly relationship with one of our tour operators and uh, a Jewish young woman from, uh, from the Northeast here. And I came out of the tomb and I'm overcome with God's presence and my thankfulness for him. And I just, the love of God, I was, I was just, I was really wrecked. <laughs> and uh, I saw her standing over there. Obviously, she didn't go in the tomb or anything like that. Didn't he communion with us. And I walked up to her and I said, uh, you know, I, wa- I grew up calling myself Episcopalian. And when I was, uh, after I got out of the military, I, I knew God was uh, really calling me to follow him. He had rescued me because I, uh, when I lived in California, I was involved in some criminal activity, and I almost got killed, and someone got shot instead of me, and I was so freaked out. I heard God tell me that's the last time He was going to rescue me, and I moved across the country trying to find Him, and I was in college, and uh, I was in, had a scholarship in one place. It was my dream area, and the, and the Lord, I knew He was telling me to move to a certain city, and I moved to that city, and I went to a little Episcopalian church, and I went, and I received communion, and the fire of God fell all over me. And I'd never felt anything like this before. And as the fire was burning in my heart, I got up to sing and I was crying uncontrollably. And I just began to speak in tongues. And I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues before. And I was just speaking in tongues. And I knew this was God who had touched my life. And she's looking at me like, huh? Wait, what? And I said, and I knew at that moment that God had saved me. And I got to a church there soon thereafter. And I started worshiping him and I became a real Christ follower at that point and I had planned to go to law school my whole life was pointed towards going to law school and I found out that God had never told me to go to law school so I expected to give that up and he would give it back to me and I heard one day that Jesus Christ spoke so audibly to me he spoke as audibly as we're talking right now and he said to me you think you're called to keep people out of jail I have called you to set the captives free And I said, and I went to church that day and I've never turned from that point. God told me to plant a church and now I'm seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ and it's just amazing. Where's the tour bus at? And she said, it's over there. I said, all right, great, have a great day. And she's just standing there. And I, I felt like the Lord was like, don't, don't, don't go in for the, don't go in for the, the, the altar call. Don't, don't go in for the, try to make her make a decision because her whole life she's kept her arms like this to the gospel. And I just want to go in there and just drop a little gospel bomb on her. I just want to release the gospel. I want her spirits open. She didn't even know it was coming. Just wanted to drop it and say, hey, I'm just going to leave this here. You go ahead. You have a great day. I'm just going to leave this right here. You go on and have a great day. And now there's no longer can she say, like, I, I didn't know. I didn't hear because I just dropped now. Now you're going to have to. This, we had a friendship. We had been talking. And now anytime she talked about the gospel, this had to be part of it. Anytime she went on these trips and she saw where Jesus walked down the mountain, and they talk about, oh, the Messiah is going to come down here, and I'm like, I saw him already. The Messiah already came. You're looking to the future. He'd actually, you've got to look 2,000 years in the past. He already came. I know this because he's living right here. Stand with me if you would. What was I doing? What was I doing? Like my mango tree, I was releasing the fragrance of what's to come in her life. I just want to release this fragrance and say, you, you, don't, you don't have it yet, but guess what? It's coming. This salvation is coming. And as we speak the name Jesus Christ, and we're just leaving a little gospel aroma over South Florida, over our families, over our children, as we tell them, yeah, yeah, I remember when I was a teenager and I was dealing with these things and Jesus Christ has set me free from that in my life. We're leaving a little gospel aroma in their life so they know where to go to find him. Can you say Amen we got to use the name Jesus to let them know this is where you find God. You don't know. You're at work, and they're talking about whatever in the break room, and, and then you just decide, yeah, I was at church, and I saw someone healed this weekend. They had a, migraines for three months, and it was so amazing. Jesus came and touched them. Now they don't have migraines anymore. Did you bring a sandwich, or are you having soup for lunch today? You don't have to take their spiritual temperature every time you talk about Jesus. You don't have to bust out some salvation scriptures. You don't have to become preacher man. If that's who you are, be blessed. That is not who you have to be though. He is saying, who do you say that I am? And all he's asking you to do is tell people who he is in your life. I want to put up one last confession here. And I want us to mean it. Because we're going to change South Florida through our confession. You don't have to save anybody. Only Jesus saves. But he's asking the question, who do you say that I am? Let me read this. This week, I will declare the name of Jesus over myself, my family, and my city. This is what God has called us to do. You can't fix anybody. You can only fix yourself. People only get changed by the renewing of their mind. We can teach people so they can allow their mind to be renewed and they can make change. Let's speak it together. This week, I will declare the name of Jesus over myself, my family, and my city. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that you would do it in their lives. Amen. Thank you. Can we give it up for the word this morning? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you guys so much for joining us, especially if you are a first-time guest or visitor here at Revival Life Church. We just want to thank you that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us and worship Jesus with us, amen? And hey, let's go out and be salt and light in our community. Can we do that this week, guys? Let's give it up for Jesus one more time. He's a very, 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 very good God. Now, if you are new, we have leaders in the lobby who would love to meet you. We got a lot going on here at Revival Life Church. There's a lot of things to get involved in. If you need prayer this morning, we have a prayer team who would love to pray with you today. And also on your way out, grab some invitation cards. We got them on the tables out there. Invite someone to church this week. You don't have to be a super spiritual preacher, man, to invite someone to church. Just gonna say, hey, come check out the church I go to, Revival Life, where he's spoken, 9 11. I believe God has something good for you there. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus one more time. We'll see you guys next week. Have an amazing Sunday. Go and be, be blessed.